0: From St. Louis Public Radio, this is St. Louis on the Air.
1: And so I used a computer model that I developed to predict the future forest cover of Madagascar. And to be honest, no matter what I did, even if I used, in a sense, the most optimistic scenario... I could not get the forest to last past the year about 2070. Oh my goodness. I could just not get it to persist. And like I said, Madagascar is one of the most biologically rich places on Earth.
2: So tell me, what factors went into this model where you ended up finding the, this dire prediction? What were the inputs here?
1: Uh, inputs, the model takes account of things that we know that affect deforestation. So, for example, how close a forest might be to a road that provides access, close to, closeness to a village, um, the amount of forest, in a sense, that people consume, um, and things like that. So it's various rules, it's, it's a mathematical model.
2: I'm Sarah Fenske. Today is Earth Day, and as we celebrate our planet today, we thought we'd take a trip to Madagascar. The Missouri Botanical Garden has been working within that African island nation for more than 25 years, and its researchers are both making some dire predictions and working to make sure they can be averted. And joining us today to talk about this work are two of those researchers. Johnny Rahar Mapunya is a botanist and conservationist currently based in Madagascar. Johnny, welcome.
0: Welcome. And thank you so much for asking me and inviting me for the Earth Day and speaking for you.
2: And we're also joined today by Adam Smith. He's an ecologist for the Missouri Botanical Garden based in St. Louis. Adam, welcome. Thank you, sir. Adam, let's start with you. What makes Madagascar such a focus for the Missouri Botanical Garden?
1: Well, I know you're not supposed to use superlatives with the word unique, but I'm going to do it. If Madagascar is in a sense, the most-uniquest biological place on Earth. Hmm. Um, It's almost, in a sense, uh, like if you started uh, life on a different planet and saw what happened, that would basically be be Madagascar. Uh, The the number of species that are there there that are only found in Madagascar is astounding. Like 85% of all plants, about 95% of all trees, Um, all the mammals, except for bats, but all the mammals, those would be the lemurs, are are found only in Madagascar. Not that you'd care, but 100% of the ticks are only found in Madagascar. (laughs) It's just just, the amount of biological diversity that's unique to that island is incredible.
2: Hmm. And so, Johnny, you're a native Malagasy. How did you first become aware of Mobot's work?
0: So, I first joined the Missouri Botanical Garden in Madagascar, the program in Madagascar, right after my university graduation. So I worked there as a botanist in the field, uh, collecting plants and uh, helping the researcher from Missouri uh, to put all the data in the large database called Tropicos or the uh, Catalog of Plants of Madagascar.
2: So Adam, you've been studying deforestation in Madagascar for years now, and you co-authored a study um, on this subject published earlier this year. You told our producer that what you found shocked you. Tell us about what you found and and what was so shocking.
1: Yeah. uh, Honestly, it's one of the two times in my life where I've pushed back from my computer in horror. Mm. Um, I I was invited to help a friend assess how lemurs would be vulnerable to climate change. And I said, well, if we're looking at Madagascar, we need to look at deforestation because the two are almost, unfortunately, synonymous. Um, And so I used a computer model that I developed to predict the future forest cover of Madagascar. And to be honest, no matter what I did, even if I used, in a sense, the most optimistic scenario, I could not get the forest to last past the year about 2070. Oh my goodness. And it's not that this is going to happen. That is, this is not a prediction. It's a scenario. It's based on a lot of assumptions, but regardless of what I was doing, I could just not get it to persist. And like I said, Madagascar is one of the most biologically rich places on earth. It was just, it just kind of, it was a maybe a crystal ball of a a travesty happening.
2: So tell me, what factors went into this model where you ended up finding this dire prediction? What were the inputs here?
1: Uh, Inputs, the model takes account of things that we know that affect deforestation in other places and in Madagascar. So for example, it accounts for um, how close a forest might be to a road that provides access, closeness to a village, um, the amount of forest in a sense that people consume, um, and things like that so it's various rules it's it's a mathematical model and then you kind of play it forward year by year uh it's like i said it's it's predictive in a say that you know the farce might be lost here but not there um but it's it's i interpret it as a scenario that is it's not a uh, a a dead in the water kind of thing. This is going to happen still. None, nonetheless, the results were very shocking to me.
2: So you started this study wanting to figure out what the impact would be on these lemurs. What uh, happens if we're looking at this level of deforestation that this model finds? What happens to the lemurs?
1: That's an excellent question. It's, it's a question we raised at the end of our article. What would happen? What should conservation biologists do if the forest were to be nearly completely lost. And they're not saying it's going to be 100% lost, but if we look at other countries where similar levels of deforestation have happened, like in Haiti, the forest goes down to maybe 1% or 2% of what it was. And at that point, it's just like little stands here and there. Uh, so it's effectively not a forest anymore.
2: And, and can the lemur survive under those circumstances other than, say, in a zoo?
1: Uh Probably not. A lot of them like intact forests. So even if there's a little bit of intrusion by people in certain areas, they'll tend to avoid those areas. Uh, so a little stand here and there probably isn't going to support them for at least the long term.
2: So Johnny, this is your this is your country here. Um, your forests, your lemurs. Hearing Adam's predictions here, what's going through your mind?
0: Uh, that's amazing. And uh, talking about uh, deforestation in Madagascar, you know, we've lost all of the old forest since the uh, uh, last 15 years, about 40% of the forest gone. So I am, I am really interested and uh, I have a hope with uh, uh, conserving the fragment and the remaining uh, forest in Madagascar to conserve these uh, habitat of lemurs.
2: Johnny, what are some of the things that are, are threatening these forests? You said you'd lost 40% um, in recent decades. What, what's taking them down?
0: As, uh, as you know, there are s- the usual threats like uh, the, the wildfire, the illegal exploitation of wood, the invasive species, all of the mining exploitation and the... Um, uh, all the uh, extraction illegally of natural resources. And the, the most important, the most devastating all the wildfire. I'm sorry, the what?
1: Wildfire.
2: Okay. Yes. And so that has been a big issue, taking down these forests as well.
0: Yeah, it's really takes hundreds and hundreds of uh, forests Adam, you had
2: told our producer one threat in particular. This was to the rosewood trees. You said they're being mm-hmm. poached. Um, what what's going on with these trees?
1: Yeah, uh, you usually think of applying the word poached to deer or th- something like that, mm-hmm. but you can poach plants too um meaning taking them illegally so rosewoods are incredibly valuable trees you I've honestly never seen one in person maybe you have Johnny but apparently if you cut it and look at the wood it's it's a deep red it's a beautiful color so it sells for a lot you can uh
2: buy yeah, an entire yeah.
1: tree for like ten thousand dollars or something mm. so um Madagascar is one of the lowest countries on the human development index people are literally living hand to mouth and so you can imagine if you run across a rosewood tree like you're going to cut it down because it it's going to significantly change your life. It's like winning the lottery, um, but the problem with that is that it creates kind of an incentive for people to go further into the forests. And once you cut one thing down, it's easier than to continue doing other things. Um, uh, so that's an issue, and and it's legal to to take these, and yet, uh, you know, the current president Rogelina, uh, he's been president twice. The first time when he left office, my understanding is that. Inside of the presidential palace were rooms full of this rosewood. So he is Mm. intimately involved in poaching um, these these very valuable and biologically valuable trees.
2: Hmm. So, Johnny, hearing Adam describe how valuable these trees are, I can certainly understand how um, someone would be tempted to cut one down. What can we do um, to stop people from from doing this and still support them and, and make sure they have what they need so they can eat?
0: Yeah, as you know, Malagasy people are really about 80% have life depending on the forest, taking wood for uh, constructing the traditional houses. So we at Missouri Botanical Garden Madagascar Program, we are obliged to do some compromise with the community. So we have the community-based conservation we are working engaging communities to be uh, the guardian of these plants of these species. So once we arrive in the in sites, we are negotiating and talking with people the importance of these plants. Also we are in Madagascar involved in a big large study of naming and doing taxonomy of these plants because the was taxonomy is not yet all done. So many species still under studies and uh, we are discovering such research in uh, the Missouri Botanic Art Garden are still making the discovery of new species of uh, uh, rosewood now.
1: So speaking to what jeanine just said, the garden has about 12, I believe, um... Uh, protected areas or parks you could call them I guess that uh, in Madagascar and they've been very strategically placed so that altogether they're small compared to the entire area of Madagascar but altogether they protect about 50% of the plant diversity there Hmm. Um, but parks or protected areas are very different from the way we conceptualize them here in the U.S. so here uh, I can go to a park I can visit it I might be able to camp there or sleep in a lodge or something but I can't build a house there and certainly wouldn't find a city or a village inside of a park. But in the rest of the world, that's basically what most protected areas are. In fact, many uh, protected areas were placed after uh, villages and so forth were there. And um, so the garden has been working, like Johnny said, with many people in Madagascar to allow them to to value the forest in a way that doesn't necessitate them cutting it down.
2: Hmm. So this is almost like a managed plan for this particular site. It's not that nobody's living there, but it's that once you're living there, you're doing your best to be a caretaker.
1: Yeah, I mean people have been there for I don't know decades or centuries, so <laughs> that the parks are relatively new in the last um 10, 15 years or so.
2: So there's a lot of energy that's going into trying to create these sites and, and trying to, to care for them once they're set up. I mean, this sounds like a really positive thing. Do you think this could have a big impact, Johnny?
0: Yeah, we are really happy to have, to join our efforts. And for impact, now, it's not, not easy. It's not in 10 years, in five years that we can see the impact conservation but the big big change we can understand is from the community they are now engaged to protect their natural heritage they say it's our forest we can do something for our natural heritage for our children so that's a big big change for us
2: We're talking today to two researchers with the Missouri Botanical Garden. Jani Rahar Mapunya is a botanist and conservationist based in Madagascar, a native Malagasy. We're also joined by Adam Smith. He's an ecologist for the Missouri Botanical Garden based here in St. Louis. Adam, we started by talking about these, these dire projections you had for deforestation in Madagascar. These are based on computer models. What happens to these models if these conservation efforts really take off? Could they... Could they avert the crisis that you're showing in the in the computer model?
1: I certainly hope so. Um, like I said earlier, it's I don't see these as a prediction; they're more scenario. Like if things continue the way they are, this could be the eventual result. One of the things we did put into the to the model as um, protected areas or parks, and uh, we looked at a case where. We assume that deforestation happens kind of willy-nilly anywhere and then another case where it didn't happen so much in parks and and sure enough if you have very strong protection in um, parks and things like that then you don't get deforestation there the reality is probably between the two somewhere that is uh people respect to the the parks to some degree but obviously they they live there and they do need to um you know survive and 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 grow crops and things like that. So the forest does get cut in those areas. I guess larger writ, the intent of these kind of models is to paint futures that we hope do not happen mm-hmm. um, and that that inspire uh, in a sense, or or make people panic, maybe uh, depending on how you see it, to, <laughs> to, um, to work harder and smarter and uh, to work in creative ways. That's a... Uh, others at the garden and I try to do.
2: So we've been talking a lot about Madagascar, but as we're thinking about Earth Day today, um, Adam, I know you've also estimated the climate change vulnerability of threatened plant species a lot closer to home. Uh, Mm -hmm. You've looked in the North American Central Highlands, that includes the Ozarks um, and some areas around that. What kind of threats are facing these regions that are so much closer to us here in Missouri?
1: Uh, well, climate change, like you said, but even if we didn't have any climate change, anthropogenic climate change, a lot of plants and a lot of animals would be already endangered. Mm-hmm. Um, world over, the biggest threat right now is broadly writ land use and land change, which includes deforestation, but it's also development and roads and dams and things like that. Um, we did an analysis with a bunch of Umsel students a couple of years ago, and interestingly, in the united states the number one most frequent threat to rare plants was actually uh outdoor recreation hmm. and it's not i'm not saying that's the worst threat like being plowed over is probably worse than being hiked over but in terms of just number of plants being affected by whatever activity it was uh, uh usually off-road vehicles like motorbikes and four four wheel um 4 wheelers and things like that but also so-called nature lovers like myself, like hikers, uh, climbers, mountain bikers, and things like that—things that you don't expect to have a huge impact—is just kind of people going basically off trail um, and inadvertently uh, trampling over plants.
2: Hmm. Do you think sometimes it's it's so easy to be, um, you know, think about the sky that's falling and look at the projection thirty years down the road, and just completely not think about the choice we're making this weekend that can have an yeah. impact?
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: So these uh, the studies that you've been doing on things closer to home and and the threats that we're facing here in this area, do you think people are paying enough attention to those?
1: That's a good question. Uh, in one way, yes. In one way, no. There's, there's an incredible amount of growing concern for the environment, and I've seen that over my short professional lifespan of, you know, 10 years or something like that I've been doing this. Um and on the other hand, we've got far, far, far more endangered species than there are actually on the endangered species list. That is, species that ought to be on the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and honestly, that the length of that list that should be uh, just keeps growing.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, so that I mean, so much of what we've talked about today is is fairly depressing. How do you remain yeah. hopeful in the midst of of you know just so many potential problems, so many lost species and habitats?
1: You know, that's a critical question. I've um, talked with a number of people in conservation who are depressed, honestly, and some of them are seeking professional help, and we should. Um, personally, the way I try to approach it is I would conceptualize it as trying to be a good doctor. And let me explain that by saying that there are kind of two kinds of bad doctors. Um, imagine you're in an emergency room. You know, you're a lot of pain. Maybe there's blood. You're injured or something the one bad doctor comes in and says, Oh my gosh. Oh, I can't take it. That looks horrible. Like you don't want that doctor, that, that doctor is too sensitized to the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, you don't want a doctor that comes in, is just kind of bored, just kind of going through the motions, doesn't care if what they're doing hurts you or not. You know, they're just doing their job. You don't want that doctor because they are too desensitized. So somewhere between them, I wouldn't call it a happy medium, but there is a medium and Personally, that's what I try to strive for. I'm not saying that I'm always there. Like I said, looking at the results of my model's projections for the rainforest of Madagascar, I kind of pushed back from my desk in horror. And I think that's a incredibly appropriate response to what I saw. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I had to go home and function like a human being. Uh, you know, We can't shut down because of the needs of the planet overwhelming us.
2: Hmm. Johnny, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I mean, we're talking about um, so many things that affect your um, native land. And, you know, as Adam started off this conversation by saying, it's such a special place. And yet now it's it's in some danger. What gives you hope for Madagascar?
0: I really believe there is hope. Because first, if uh, protected areas are only one million hectares, during the last uh, 10 years, 15 years, we have now a total of 7 million hectares. Of course, I understand. That's a big and huge area is protected legally. And it's um, it's not yet at the top, top management for conservation, but at least this area has the communities, has the people, has the attention of the researcher. So that's really hope for me. That's really hope for Madagascar. And all of these children, all of these kids, young people really engaged to uh, take care of the forest. That's amazing. That's amazing because when I was at university, we are, few of us are only working on taxonomy, on research, on plant. But now, I think that there are hundreds of uh, students at university really love to learn plants, love to do all the taxonomy, and care about forests, care about all our natural heritage. So that's hope for me.
2: Well, you've given me some hope, too. So on this Earth Day, I hope people can both look at uh, the scary things and also figure out ways to to prevent it and um, take us all away from uh, the, these terrible scenarios in Adam's models. So, Jani Rahar Mapunya, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much. And it's like a pleasure for me from Madagascar to talk to you from from, from the, the U.S. states. So I'm really pleased to have that. It's for all of us to look after our planet and the better we do, the, the better for all of us. Thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And Adam Smith, thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much, Sarah.
0: St.
2: Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here.